When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Heath Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Badwater. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Uh, you know, it's that, it's that uh, time of the winter, you know, the February before March Madness, where, you know, it's do or die for uh, a lot of teams and um including the Oregon teams. Yeah, I was sort of, uh, you know, I've sort of given up on Oregon getting an at-large bid. Um, like the, I guess there's technically a path for it, but it requires pulling off some victories that just seem like out of reach for a team that's this up and down. Um, although, you know, never count Altman out in terms of uh, just winning the tournament <laughs> and taking a bid. Um, yeah. Uh, and if that's their only path, you know, like, I don't know, man, maybe like take a couple of weeks off and just, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, uh, just, you know, tune up the team, you know, for a couple of games. It's not like he, it's not like he hasn't done it before. So, uh, yeah, man. So, um, since the last time uh, this podcast was recorded, the men's side has, uh, you know, uh, played two games in which, I don't know, maybe there's some hope. You know, they, they wound up sweeping the uh, the mountain schools uh, at home. Um, you know, uh, the, the Utah game was not really a surprise since apparently Dana Altman just totally owns the Utes. Um, like, uh, 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 but then the Colorado one is always funny because like whoever the home team is just automatically wins this game, uh, apparently. Um, so I don't know, sort of yeah, like, but with the, with the Colorado game though, there was a little bit of, of a scare with, uh, Dante not playing right. and yeah, you, know, you, you, there was no information as to what kind of injury or how long term it, it might be. And, uh, Lo and behold, Nate Biddle steps, steps up. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a surprise or not. Like, I, I mean, I guess that there's a story to this team, which is that, you know, if if Dante's not at 100%, which he, he did come back and he played in the Utah game, um, but, you know, off the bench, you know, only, uh, you know, played, uh, I think, 20 minutes, um, you know, got nine points. He looked better, you know, like he looked, he, he honestly, he didn't look injured, but like, I just sort of felt like he was on the right. timer. Um, like, I, I think literally he was on a timer. 
Um, yeah, just pre- precautionary. It, sure. You know, this the the story has been Kalel Ware, um, or more accurately, just the total absence of Kalel Ware, um, which like Altman's come out and just, I mean, as clearly as a coach ever says, you know, like a coach is never just going to say that dude's a bum and I'm sitting him because, you know, he's dragging his ass in practices and not playing to the standard. And this kid's never going to go to the NBA until he, you know, shapes up. Uh, this one and done stuff is a dream for him and he needs to work harder uh, than he's, you know, work than he had to work in high school. Coach is never going to say that uh, explicitly, um, but I guess podcasters get to. Um, and I can read between the lines and what, you know, Altman says in like, I, you know, I've been listening to coach speak for a long time and what he was saying was that clear as a bell, you know? Right. And it's articulated in minutes played. Yeah. Well, specifically zero. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nothing uh, like know, that like, to uh, send a message on. You know, you're gonna you're gonna earn your minutes. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, so it's like you know, Oregon needs a big. You know, there's a there's an opening. Uh, you know, with, with Dante, you know, on, on the bench or coming off the bench, and uh, and the guy who steps into it is Nate Biddle. And you know, what's funny is that like I kind of feel like Nate Biddle was in the Khalil Weir situation a little bit last year. You know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I do think that there were some people anyway who were talking about Biddle being a one and done guy. And here he is a second year. And I sort of think it's because, you know, the tough love message got through. So I don't know. This is going to sound this is this is getting awfully close to like sports movie cliches. And I don't want to engage <laughs> in that. But like, um, I, I I don't know, man. I you know it, it's difficult to think that Dana Altman is wrong about Kalel Ware. Um, you know, definitely the time that I've seen him on the floor, you know, looks like that's an accurate diagnosis. Um, and uh, and it's also difficult as an Oregon fan not to hope that Altman's uh, y- you know prognosis is the correct one as well you know like i hope that guy shapes up um you know oregon could use all hands on deck especially because apparently this team can't stop getting injured uh this year yeah yeah that was the the scariest part of uh um what happened with dante and warm-ups at colorado was you know the the prospect of him being out for an extended period of time here going into February it's that is a, a really bad omen and yeah. uh, I was thinking that when I was watching the game oh my gosh but um, but like you say it, um, uh, I didn't see him hobbling at all during uh, the Utah game so uh, as I say they were looked like they were just taking precautionary measures and limiting minutes. And from what I understand, you know, he asked to be, he asked to come off the bench and not start that game. So uh, I forget who reported that. I've been Kripea. Yeah, it's difficult, you know, it, it's that it's difficult to figure out, you know, who's, who's pushing what, you know, like, uh, 
you know, all you can do is observe who's playing and who's not. Um, uh, and the other interesting thing about, you know, uh, these two games is the lineup, you know, the lineup winds up, the lineup winds up being fairly similar, but on the other hand, you know, who's producing, you know, the stat lines are all different, you know, like, you know, Richardson has a 10 point mm-hmm. swing. Cousinard has a, like a 10 point swing, um, you know, uh, soars has nine points in one game and three points in another game. Um, you know, there's no, you know, uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew, you know, sort of like, came out of nowhere uh uh to to be the second leading scorer against colorado and then he goes right back to nowhere you know against uh, uh against utah like i don't know man like I, this is it's not going to surprise anybody to to learn that i think this is a very talented team i think everybody who looks at oregon's roster says this is a very talented team and one of the the nice things about having really you know talented team is that if you keep rotating them through you'll figure out which dude's hands are hot that night and you can just ride those guys uh and if that you know hey what's the team slogan sometimes you sometimes me um you know it you know definitely feels like that uh uh, I sort of wish they'd be able to settle on us. You know, we were joking about it initially, but like, I really wish they would just settle on a starting lineup, you know, like, and, and that those guys would play consistently. Like I does, we were joking about using February to tune up for the PAC 12 tournament, but like, it's still, it feels like it's only partially joking. Like, it feels like that's definitely like, no, that's what's happening. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know who who was uh, kind of an um, interesting player off the the bench was uh, Luck were. Um, he had limited minutes, but um, I thought in both games he did a lot with the minutes that uh, he was given. And I, I mean, yeah, I, I, against Utah, uh, he scores no points, but I think he's plus seventeen on his minutes, like. He's apparently the most Uh, player that Oregon has who never scores a basket. Yeah, totally a defensive uh, presence there in the Utah game. In Colorado, he went two for three. Uh, Well, I mean, but that three-pointer. Like, I'm not sure that I would attribute it entirely to to, to War, but um, I would say that both of these games were 100% won on the defense because, like, I mean... In both games, Oregon's offense is simply performing nominally as a basketball team is supposed to. They're shooting about 50% from the floor. They're shooting about 33% um, from the three-point range. They're making most of their free throws. Um, You know, in fact, it's kind of crazy. Like, if you take the individual players out of it and you just look at the, you know, the global stat line, the global stat line looks like, nominal basketball performance um if you look at the defensive stat line oh my god they just destroyed you know both colorado and utah right like against oregon colorado totally on the glass right colorado shoots 37 percent from the floor uh against oregon and across both halves you know like it's not like there's a spike in one you know like nope it was just consistently Mm -hmm. they're shooting 37 percent. no one wins a basketball game shooting 37 percent from the floor utah uh shoots 28 percent from the floor 
Uh, I don't think there's yeah. ever in the history of a basketball, you know, game been a team that shot 28% from the floor and even sniffed a victory. Like, um, you know, it's all, right. and like, look, to some extent, those guys' hands were cold. I watch those games. Like, you know, sometimes dudes' hands go cold. Hands going cold explains, you know, shooting like 45% or 42% or something. Like, the, you know, defensive involvement is, is required for, uh, you know, shooting that poorly the way the mountain schools did and you know uh, hey if oregon wants to be a defensive led team uh i'm all for it (laughs) you know yeah well like altman uh has said uh year in and year out uh the offense will go up and down um but if your defense is there then yeah you stand a chance to write out the runs, you know, in the, the spurts and offense. I mean, it's definitely a viable model. You know, if you can, you know, consistently demonstrate good defense to hold your opponent to like, you know, 10% lower shooting than what their hands are like that night, um, then even if they're hot, you know, you can still, you know, restrict them. And if they're cold, you can kind of sleepwalk through it. And then on offense, if you just have a very talented team and you're willing to rotate through until you find the hot five uh, for whatever that combination is that night, because you have a big and talented enough roster that you can do that. Like, dude, you just described like a team that's not going to lose any basketball games, um, which is pretty much what Oregon needs to be if they want to make the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, especially this this coming weekend, it's a it kind of feels like a, a do or die weekend in the desert, and yeah, especially since uh, Arizona's gonna want revenge in the worst way for their beatdown in Eugene. Yeah, and definitely, and I mean that game is in Tucson, and they're gonna get Mikhail officiating. Um, so you know, Oregon's pretty much gonna have to play perfect basketball against mm-hmm. a team at home that um, has a significant home court advantage and which is desperate for revenge. Um, yeah, you know, it's what I mean. I have this game penciled in as a loss. Uh, you know, just sort of by default, um, which is why I say, like, I, you know, that, you know, it's that or beat UCLA, you know, is, is, you know, what our colleague, uh, Adam Holland, you know, suggested is like, the, you know, they got to beat at least one of those teams if they want at large bid and the way that I look at it, you know, like, you know, they did play UCLA fairly close and that was, uh, at UCLA the first time around and they get them, you know, uh, in Eugene, um, you know, the next time, um, a couple, couple days before Valentine's day. Um, the, uh, so I don't know, we'll see, you know, it's definitely a possibility. Um, uh, uh, but like, I, I don't know, man, I, I just really have a hard time seeing him beat Arizona. What would be nice is to get out of the desert, you know, with at least one win, which means, you know, beating Arizona state, a team that humiliated them, the ducks on their own court, um, uh, uh last time they played, but like, I don't know, maybe they'll return the favor. Like, right. Yeah. Uh, they, they really do. They, they need a split in the worst way. Yeah. I mean, at least a split. You know, uh, the, the, 
yep. uh, it's just like they 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 can't come out of that zero and two. Like they, they might actually just straight up kill the season. They might just be so demoralized by going zero and two in the desert that like it doesn't even matter. Uh, but I don't know, man. Like I, you know, you know the 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 Altman haters and the Altman lovers have both um, had a lot of ammunition uh, to load up over the last month. Um, I, I don't really count myself in either one of those camps, but I, I do count myself in the camp of like, um, never count out Dana Altman. Like, I think he's one of the best working coaches, um, in the country and, uh, and you know, I, it, it ain't over till it's over, you know, like it, it ain't over until that team is eliminated from the PAC 12 tournament. Um, uh, and, uh, and that's you know, and they definitely have time for a tune up uh, before then. So we'll keep we'll keep going and we'll keep covering it. Addicted to quack. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the women's side. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So uh, the women's side uh, has sort of faced some different challenges from the the men's side. Um, They, uh, rather than having two mountain schools that they sort of rolled over at home, instead uh, went on a trip to the Bay Area. Um, They took on Cal in a game that probably should have been easier than it was. Um, It was actually like a thriller of a game. I I genuinely enjoyed it. It was something like 25 lead changes. it's just that Cal's not that good and Oregon should have blown him out. Um, but wherever, you know, we got a good, you know, at least an enjoyable game out of it. We're enjoyable, for, at least from the perspective of a neutral basketball fan. If you were an Oregon fan who was like, why aren't they destroying these ladies? Uh, it maybe was less enjoyable. But anyway, they did get the win. Uh, you know, they, they pulled it out when they needed to. And then they went to Stanford and sort of got crushed. Um Although at points during the Stanford game, they looked a hell of a lot more competitive. Like, they, you know, they look like the team that they're supposed to be um, against a very good team. Um, but then other parts of the game, they just like look like in a total affront to basketball in which like neither team could make a shot. Uh, is that uh, is that your review of uh, the ladies the Bay Area as well? Yeah, the um, uh, I don't know why it is that. Uh, California was giving them fits uh, other than, you know, they were certainly shooting the three better. I, I think that's what it really kept. Oh Cal yeah. Well, was, the, was Cal was shooting shot. the three at an acceptable rate and Oregon was shooting the three at like half of the rate that they should have like, you know, there, there's a stretch in the middle of the game where I think they shot 13, they made 13, uh, three point attempts and scored zero of them. Uh, you know, it was just like, what's happening. Uh, I mean, it was just like horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly throwing up, uh, bricks and, you know, we have all these, uh, 
good shooters, but yeah, you know, with with the roster size, uh, Oregon's not really in a very good position to be able to withstand all their shooters shooting poorly from beyond the arc. Um, and yeah, you know, we we saw that on on full display with both the Bay Area games where yeah, it was just a, a cold hand. And if the other team gets a hot hand, well, then it makes th- things more difficult. Uh, with the Cal game, um, they were able to have a better inside uh, presence and yeah, use that to their advantage. Well, I mean, Cal... I don't really feel like Cal got got hot. You know, they, they well, it's not true. In the third quarter, Cal got inexplicably hot. It it felt like in the third quarter, Cal couldn't miss a shot. Um, and I mean, they were, and I mean, they were contested shots. I mean, it was kind of crazy. Like, you know, there was a lot of times where I felt like Oregon's defense was totally there. The the hand was totally in her face, and it was like. It, I, and I mean, it wasn't even like, you know, shooters bounce like rimming in or something like that. It was like they were swishing it every time. Um, and then they went, you know, but then they, you know, the the reason that Oregon won that game, ultimately, it was a very tight game. Oregon did not shoot well from the three point line. Uh, but Cal, Cal went cold um, in the in the fourth quarter and Oregon didn't. Um, and that's it. That's why Oregon wins by five. Um uh, like I don't really put that down to an awesome, you know, uh, offensive performance by Cal or anything. I, I just think that you know, you, I, it really just sort of comes down to Oregon was just terrible at shooting threes. Like I mean, like Chance Gray's stat line in this game is particularly crazy. Uh, she goes one for seven from the floor, uh, oh for four from the uh, three point line, ten for ten from the charity stripe, like. Cal couldn't stop <laughs> fouling her. Like, even though she couldn't make a bucket to save her life, she Cal couldn't stop fouling her, and she just made every one of her free throws. Like, I've, I'm not. It's not like I've never seen a stat line like that, but I rarely, you rarely see stat. Usually, they just sort of figure out, like, uh, guys, we don't need to hack her or anything. Give her an open look; she'll blow it. Like, but Cal yeah. never figured that out. No. uh, uh, Chance has been really good on the charity stripe uh, this year, um, so it it wasn't uh, particularly amazing that uh, she hit the vast majority of her free throws. And if they had done the least little bit of scouting, they would have known <laughs> that's not the person that you know, you want to be fouling. But it it's it is kind of disconcerting that she can't hit a shot from the field. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, and, and she's not the only one. And, and well, yeah, I like chance. I mean, I'm not really surprised by that at this point. Like it, she's had such an up and down season. The one that I'm, well, there's two players who, who, that I was sort of surprised by in the, the Cal game. Um, you know, one, uh, Tay Hansen, um, who just had a real clunker performance and like Hansen has been like a hero of a couple of games, right? Yeah. It's, but like, you know, two for seven from the floor and like, she was the worst defender in terms of like jacking up threes and missing. She's over five. Um, and, uh, and just like 
for somebody who's who's you know like Tay Hansen is built right. Like I like Tay, I would not want to encounter Tay Hansen in a dark alley. She'd beat the crap out of me. Um, no, she she'd kick both of our asses probably at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like uh, uh, she her interior presence is just negative. It is the absence of an interior presence. She draws no fouls. She like I'm not saying that she's afraid of contact or anything, but it's like she needs to be pressing inside and drawing fouls, and she never does. Um, and I don't get it. Um, and you know, the, the last lady that I complained about, like, I don't get it was Filipina Che not taking shots, but lo and behold, she started taking shots, you know, against Cal, she was five for six. She looked great. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, she discovered her offense. So like, maybe it's me, you know, like maybe, maybe I'll light a fire under Tay Hansen's ass. That'd be great. Uh, um, <laughs> and I mean, even Stanford, you know, Stanford was a great team. Uh, and, and frankly, my might win it all this year. I mean, this look, this kind of looks like maybe the best team that Vandiver's ever had. But anyway, like, uh, she's shooting even more against Stanford. Like, she shot, you know, she she put it up twelve times, you know, against Stanford. Um, meet while maintaining her like total, you know, rebound dominance. Um, like. Uh, and like, you could tell that Stanford was altering their defensive strategy to, to, to deal with her and it was creating offensive opportunities for the rest of the team. The problem was against Stanford is that those offensive opportunities, the rest of the team were getting were they were just like completely whiffing on them, right? Like, okay. So Van Sluten is three for 14 from the floor. She usually doesn't get that many shot opportunities. That's coming off of Che and Dia Rogers is three for 14 from the floor as well. She actually usually does that get that many shot opportunities usually doesn't miss that badly in and uh tahina papow is two for 14 um from the floor like you know uh elise hurst for some reason was getting 20 minutes despite shooting one for nine from the floor tay hansen had another stinker of a night uh you know like you know all of the you know like they, they just shot you know absolutely terribly against stanford but like they were getting lots of shot on goal opportunity they attempted 80 field goals against yeah, stanford and, and they were doing that because like stanford kept having to trap che and it's like that's what you get when you have a giant big you need to take advantage of it and just like yet another game in which their hands are completely soaked in ice like liquid like is, is kelly graves traveling to the bay area with like big buckets of liquid nitrogen to stick their hands in before the game i don't get it man like you had an excellent offensive strategy you know to 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 set up these you know perimeter uh uh shooting opportunities and kickouts and like I, and, and they just weren't able to capitalize on it at all. You know, like they just set the game basketball back 20 years, just like a horrendous shooting performance. Like put the ball in the basket. Like this ain't rocket science, man. Right. And they, they had plenty of open looks. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, Stanford was letting them shoot the bricks. I, if you're going to throw bricks up, I'm going to let you do it. Um, Philly's play is kind of a, a tale of two halves because initially she had some issues with uh, Cameron Brink, who's... Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, most people she, are going to... She like... might... She might yeah, she might be the uh, one of the, the best players in the country. I mean, she's well, I don't certainly argu arguably like... the, the best player uh, in the Pac-12. And she's kind of deceptive. She's a 
really skilled. She's only six foot four, but she has this huge wingspan. Yes, yeah. it's, it's like when when I was uh, doing rehab with uh, turkey vultures. Turkey vultures have just an enormous wingspan for their body size. Are it's, you literally uh, talking about the bird turkey vultures? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, I Usually spent, wingspan is a metaphor is all. I'm... <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I'm literally talking wingspan. Right. Uh, a, a bald eagle has a bigger body size, but a shorter wingspan. Mm. Um, the, the turkey vulture has a longer wingspan that allows them to. Well, yeah, they're long-term gliders, whereas yep. eagles are raptors. Yeah, and Brink is like that too. She she's six foot four, but has um, a reach, and and we saw that with all the blocks that she did. Um, um, Philly only scored uh, a couple points in the first half, but yep, adjusted to it and that kind of thing, and she was really a presence in the second half. Uh, I thought that she handled uh, Brink's defense uh, much better, and yep, yeah, I mean she she's a, a young player and still new, and so it's encouraging to see that kind of turnaround in, in a single game rather than you know uh, I'll be better next year. Yeah, I, I I mean if there's something to take away from the Bay Area trip, even though. Look, they split it. They lost the game that they were supposed to lose. They won the game they were supposed to win. I suppose you should take that as victory. I don't because the Cal game was closer than it should have been. And because the Stanford game looked like it was winnable. Like, Stan, I mean, that's the other thing is that, like, you know, Stanford shot 37% from the floor. That's a winnable game. Um, but Oregon shot 25% from the floor. Like, come on, they're not going to give you that gift, you know, but once in a blue moon. And like, if you can't take advantage of it because your hands are even colder, like it's just pathetic. Uh, so like, I, I don't feel real great about this Bay area trip, but if there's one silver lining to it, it's like, I get to see Shay shoot. And like, I hope that's not just, you know, momentary thing. You know, I hope that that's, you know, a real thing going forward. Um, and, yeah, I think so. I've seen, I think we've been seeing uh, progress in her play as, the yeah, season has has advanced, and you know, ho- hopefully, come Pac-12 tournament time, you know, she's gained enough experience to be able to utilize her height. Yeah, if if she uses that, she can. I mean, uh, the take on most between, any of the opponents. I, I mean, it's such a. I mean. Look, man, like this ain't the men's side in which, you know, you can find seven footers for every team in the country, like, or at least every team that's a contender, like you, you on the women's side, that is, that ought to be an unassailable, you know, advantage against 90% of the teams that you play. Um, And her not shooting for most of the year was like, I mean, it was the craziest thing. Like it was like such a massive missed opportunity uh, that they were laboring under. And if they're, you know, finally fixing that, then like, okay, I like this team. You know, I really like this team's chances to 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 go pretty far um, in the tournament. You know, if they have that weapon, because like just structurally, it's a 
there's there's such a mismatch advantage there that doesn't exist um on the other side like yeah. it just doesn't yeah um, exactly all right let's take a break uh we come back we'll talk about the uh the football recruiting class So I, I wrote a non-film study article this week, um, actually this morning. Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> although all I really did was like tapped into my database, which I have to maintain anyway. Uh, I, I just went through the, uh, the 2023 signing class and, uh, and noted, um, you know, what everybody's talent ratings are. And then basically like what the situation is at each of their positions, given the returners, the departures and the transfers in and tried to make some guesses about, um, who might be getting some early playing time. Um, uh, it was, uh, uh, it was a, it was actually a pretty simple article to write. And so therefore a lot of fun because I had the computer write most of it, like, cause the computer is able to make all these guesses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I sort of coded a couple of things in Python a few years ago and like there are half my articles get written for me by the computer. It's sweet. Um, anyway, uh, um, the thing that sort of overall struck me before we start talking about specifics, but the thing that sort of overall struck me is what I had to write a couple of times or instruct the computer to write for me, uh, is that like Oregon doesn't need freshmen to play at any of these positions. Like they have the number one recruiting class in the PAC 12. It will be their fifth straight year with the number one recruiting class in the PAC 12. Um, and, and I, I tell you what, like any other team in the Pac-12 has this signing class, like half of these dudes are going to be slated to play as starters because the roster management of the Pac-12 is so bad that like if you get some blue chips, you're going to play those blue chips because they're just instantly better than anybody that you have. Or maybe they're the only guy that you have. Um, and like, even with all the attrition that, you know, Oregon has had, they've had a lot of people exit their portal and they're probably going to have more and not probably they a hundred percent have to have more. There are at least seven, you know, scholarships over the cap, um, right now. Um, like it's the, Oregon is in the fortunate position of having had good roster management for the last five years and such that, you know, the guys who leave are basically the guys for whom it's appropriate for them to leave. And the way that the replacements have come in, uh, has been, and the way that, you know, the returners have, have returned, uh, like, has been to the point where Oregon is a position where the only true freshmen that they're going to have to play are true freshmen who like, you can't keep off the field. Um, like I, I can't predict who exactly that's going to be, but like you recruited a, a class this good, there's going to be like three, four guys in it who were like, Oh, that guy's so good. He's just like, you know, can't keep, keep, keep them off the field. And those are luxuries, you know, those aren't necessities. Um, yeah, kind of like, uh, Connerly last year. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It, I mean, you can go through Oregon's history over the last, you know, several years and find plenty of examples where it's like, you know, that, that you didn't have to play, but like, you know, the, I mean, the closest thing that Oregon has to like a gap that definitely needs to be filled is, you know, they didn't really have an edge rush last year and like all their outside linebackers, except for, you know, Funa and a couple of true freshmen who had redshirted, you know, have, have departed. And so like, um, 
you know, I wouldn't be that surprised to see, uh, you know, a true freshman play, maybe two, maybe three, you know, true freshman play, you know, but they brought in, you know, as a transfer, they brought in Jordan Birch, um, mm-hmm. you know, former five star, you know, Jordan Birch, who like, it's entirely possible they just play him. He's their pass rush, and that's it. The the freshman could redshirt, you know, like the the that I mean, that's the other side of this coin is that like the transfer class is so good, and Lanning's track record on transfers from last year is so amazing. Right, like they took nine transfers from last year, eight of them were home runs, you know. Yeah. Uh, like their track record, I guess I'm mixing metaphors pretty badly there. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 baseball and track, but like, uh, in a football podcast, uh, <laughs> um, but like, they're like, I just have like a hundred percent confidence that like every single dude, um, that they got out of the transfer portal is, you know, going to be, a, 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 a solid contributor. And so therefore, even at the positions where I think they sort of have some roster holes, um, they've already been plugged and the true freshmen aren't necessities. Uh, and like, man, oh man, uh, for a number one recruiting class for all of these guys to potentially just be red shirts or, you know, that they could redshirt and it would be fine is just not a situation that any other team in the Pac-12 is in. Yeah, it's crazy when you can even begin to entertain that thought. And the the transfers, like we talked about last year, they, they fit all the right holes and they uh, really uh, fold into the incoming recruiting class well yeah you know, like you say I, it, I, I think we're seeing a, another you know, home run performance in the transfer portal well you would expect you know like and i mean of course they're all you know immediate contributors at this point in the evolution of college football and and roster management if you're taking a transfer who's not supposed to be an immediate impact player like what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like you're not taking these guys as projects. <laughs> like, um, so like, I, I, you know, I fully expect everybody, you know, you know, that they took to, to play either as a starter or as a, you know, a solid rotational guy. Um, I would, uh, you know, like y- there's a couple of redundancies, like uh, it's, but I mean, we'll find out, uh, you know, I expect like, you know, they, they took 10 of them. I would, ex- I fully would expect eight of them to be part of the two deep. Um, you know, now there may be some injuries or something, you know, other unforeseen, you know, uh, events, but like, you know, from what I expect, you know, I would expect at least eight of these guys to be like, yeah, they're, they're definitely part of the two deep. Um, that's simply what Dan Laning's track record is. And, and, you know, having, you know, knowing what I know about these guys, we'll do a full breakdown of the transfer ins and outs, uh, you know, a little later because there's still another transfer window. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in May goes from May 1st to May 15th, which is sort of coincides with Oregon spring ball. Um, And uh, so, so, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wrap all that up, you know, at a later point, but like, from what I know of these guys at this point, like, yeah, no, these all, you know, look like solid, you know, contributors, but it's just such a, it's a remarkable position to be in that you can recruit a class this talented where, you know, each, you know, in my article, I broke down, you know, basically, you know, the, into four, like sort of 
not position groups, but like the, you know, whatever the, you know, division, not platoon, um, mm-hmm. you know, so the, this, the, the, the offensive skill players, the offensive line, the defensive front and the secondary and each of those four, it's, you know, the, 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 you know, what their two, four, seven talent, you know, average is it's a 0.94 for the skill players. It's, you know, it, it's a 0.90 for the defensive front. It's a 0.89 for the secondary, actually close to a 0.90. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 0.8851, which is less than half a hundredth of a point off from being a blue chip. Like, they're all blue chips. And really, it, it's just because of Bolton. Uh, Br- Bryce Bolton, he's an interior offensive lineman um, who's a, a 0.86. Um, he's the guy who's dragging him down from being a blue chip average. Um, and really, that's just because Bolton's, like I watched his tape, he's his feet are really good. Um, like his, his footwork is, is excellent. It's just like, he doesn't have the, he's, he, he's not heavy enough. Like, and so that's why he's not a, a four star. Cause like, if he, if he puts on the weight, that dude's a blue chip. If he doesn't, that guy is not a viable player. And we just don't like, that's an open question. We don't know. And that's why he's not a four star, but like, Man, if that guy weighed, you know, if that guy came into college weighing 20 pounds, you know, heavier, he would be rated high enough so that all four of these position groups or super groups would be, you know, blue chips like, man, that ain't, I mean, it's just not even fair uh, to, to, to combine like a recruiting class that talented with a man with a roster that's been managed this well, so they don't need to play. It's just like, it's unheard of in the Pac-12. That's that's stuff that's much more akin to the teams that I have been studying like Ohio state and, and Georgia and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like you say, when you uh, have all that talent around you, uh, you can work with a a player like Bolton who might be really super essential to the needs of a team with a different makeup. Yeah, but, but yeah, your Oregon has a a lot of luxury in a lot of diff, different positions in the same manner. Yeah, and I mean, it also means that you can you can the couple of three stars that you do take, you, you can afford to take projects. You know, like you know, so so Bolton's probably going to be a project. He needs to put on some weight. Colin Gill, the defensive back, uh, is probably going to be a project. You know, he probably. Um, you know, he, he probably, he's a corner, I think. And, and, and I think he needs to, you know, you know, the, the game needs to, to, to slow down for him. Um, the, the, um, I think, well, I don't know what I think about Jaden Moore. I think Jaden Moore might just straight up be underrated. Um, he's a mid three star who should probably be rated higher. I don't really understand like his film really pops. Um, it might be cause he's a little underweight. So maybe he's a bit of a project too. Um, I don't know. Um, but like, you know, you, you can, or, or like Tatum Tuiati, the coaches, you know, kid where like, he doesn't, he didn't show his film to anybody. Cause like everybody knew, cause he's going to Sheldon high and everybody knows, you know, what school he's going to, he doesn't need to participate in the camp circuit or anything. So he doesn't really get exposed, but like that kid could wind up being phenomenal, you know, like coaches kids right. often are like, they're very technically proficient um, for obvious reasons. Like, yeah, you know, Oh, and then the other thing that was fun about writing the article was we got to kick it off with the coup of uh, of, of swiping Roderick Pleasant from USC. Yes, uh, that's always a good thing. Who is literally the fastest player 
I believe in the entire recruiting class for the entire country. Like, oh my god, uh, like I I pulled up his track film and his track film is incredible. In fact, that's the header the header photo for my article is him winning a, a track meet. Um, is just like it's unbelievable watching that. I mean, just totally flies. And like his film is all of a, as a cornerback, but I think there's a strong possibility that he because he has some experience as wide receiver, and I sort of feel like the value to the guy to the team would really be playing as a, you know, just a burner slot receiver. Um, um, I feel like that, you know, really open stuff up for the offense, just like totally take the top off, you know, um, which, you know, basically in order to cover him, he, a safety would have to be covering him. And for a safety to cover him, they just need to bail like immediately. They need to play 10 <laughs> yards back and they need to be, you know, backpedaling instantly from the snap, um, and just giving him an enormous cushion, which like e- either they do that and, and it opens up everything underneath for for outside receivers and and wheel routes from the t- from the running back and tight ends and so forth um or they don't and he's running a post route for a touchdown every play you know like uh yeah the, i mean that kind of speed is really really valuable out of the slot um and Oregon's pretty much fine at cornerback. Like they kind of don't need him at cornerback but like he could be transformative on offense so it's an interesting one to watch yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I can't help but think that the the prospect of competing in in Hayward Field was oh, yeah. a, a huge impetus in him coming along to Oregon instead of USC. I think that all of the offensive line guys are going to redshirt. Um, like some are more projects than others, but it's just Oregon returns. You know, I think they, they've got four guys who are returning who are, you know, depending on how you squint and look at it, were starters. You know, like Josh Connerly was a starter at the sixth man position, which they were only using sometimes, but like he was a starter at that position, you know, <laughs> but he's also like a five star and was capable of playing as a true freshman. So like, I have no doubt that he's going to be, you know, part of it. Um, you know, plus they have, you know, they got two pretty good transfers, Johnny Cornelius um, from Rhode Island uh, and Julian Angelau from Texas. Um, you know, uh, like I think, uh, they, they, the one Juco that they took in the class, George Silva, um, he, uh, he might, you know, break in, although th- that in and of itself is kind of a story. Like when was the last time Oregon only took one Juco? Um, uh, like this is, this class just sort of overall is a real investment in the future. Um, uh, I mean, it, <laughs> it's like 26, four stars. It was crazy. Um, yeah. And between like, the, between, um, between you know recruiting uh, elite talent and you know prodigious use of the transfer portal uh, that that means that um, a lot of a lot of players are leaving uh, Oregon um, and they're not Dan Lanning players they're not the the players that Dan Lanning uh, recruited so this so landing it, it in his second year has a, a higher percentage of his guys than you might otherwise expect. Oh yeah. It's huge. Coach. It's, it's something like three quarters of the roster is going to be a, a guy, a Dan Laning guy, as you put it either, you know, recruited out of prep or brought in as a transfer. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty wholesale turnover in a very fast order, which is a combination of two things. You know, number one, the transfer portal, and number two, the the NCAA waiver that we're on to um to the, the specifically the waiver of the twenty five initial counter rule, um, which is basically being used to. There's a massive backlog caused by the COVID holiday, um. And basically teams need to clear out their rosters um, and that, and, but you can't clear out your roster unless you can replace guys, you know, and you can't replace guys with the 25 um, initial counter cap. So they did away with that um, for this year and for next year. And I don't know, they might extend it, but anyway, um, yeah, Oregon definitely took advantage. I mean, like, I think they handed out, let me do a quick count. Um, you know, 11, 17, 28, like, uh, I think this is something in the neighborhood of 30 um, prep scholarships on top of 10 transfers coming in. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, like, you know, 40 new players. Like, yeah, they just completely blew past 25. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a, not an insignificant number at all. Yeah, right. Um, and, uh, 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 and like I said, you know, the crazy thing is that they don't really, you know, so it's basically like it's it's a larger even if they had 25 initial counters cap and so they couldn't take any of the 10 transfers that they took it's it would still be a more than full prep recruiting class and it's appropriate you know it's all you know it's all balanced to where the needs are like this is how you would assemble your roster if you didn't have if you weren't able to take any transfers this is you would still recruit exactly this roster mm-hmm. uh or you know this slate of prep recruits but then they got 10 transfers um you know to sort of <laughs> yeah. tie them over uh it's just like yeah you know it's a pretty it's a pretty excellent position to be in and i mean like i said you know i really sort of was racking my brain to find a guy that like you know i think probably the most likely to get significant playing time is kenyan sadiq the tight end um recruit simply because you know with both mccormick and madafau transferring out um they're down to two scholarship tight ends which i actually don't really think is the end of the world because i think that will stein is probably going to play mostly out of 11 personnel and but like you know what happens one of those guys get hurt or you know just needs a break or something like that um or that he wants to play out of 12 personnel and and one of the dude needs some gatorade at that moment you know like so i think that sadiq will probably get some playing time but i think it could actually be limited like because remember you not only get four you get to play in four games without burning your red shirt, but they, uh, they uh, amended that rule. So it's four games plus the bowl game doesn't count. So it's, you know, really five games. Um, and, uh, 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 and so like, I think that even with the guys that I sort of expect to see the field, um, during, uh, you know, during the season, there's still scenarios in which they wind up keeping their red shirt. Um, and I think the staff will probably have that as the goal. Um, uh, the other, 
the other position where I wouldn't be surprised to see is the out the two outside receivers, Cozart and Dickey. Dickey, because he, you know, when I was saying earlier, like there's probably at least a couple of guys here that like you can't keep them off the field. They're so talented. Like if there's anybody who fits that builds, Jurian Dickey, like oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's you know outside inside receiver they they've got enough dudes. I'm not really worried about that. But outside receiver they pretty much got Franklin. And they've got Treshawn Holden, the Alabama transfer, um, who is like six three, um, and uh, and and they have Kyler Casper, who's like six six. But like that's it, you know, for tall dudes, um, you know, which is like that's just barely as many as you need, you know, for the for the rotation. Um, so, but like. Yeah, so I could definitely see Cozart and Dickey, you know, playing um, simply to supplement uh, the outside receiver rotation, Um, uh, you know, beyond that. And like, you know, simply because uh, Carlos Lachlan, the the, the running backs coach, you know, likes to have a four man rotation and because he's been pretty comfortable playing Jordan James, who was a true freshman last year. I sort of expect that like the two running back recruits, Dowdle and Lamar, you know, you'll probably wind up probably Dowdle, I think. Um, cause like that guy's big, uh, you know, might wind up playing, um, I don't know, Nova said, like, I don't really know what the deal with Ty Thompson is. Like, I'm still sort of willing to give him some benefit of the doubt that like maybe the absolute disaster every time he was in wasn't exactly his fault. There's sort of like crazy circumstances surrounding him. Like he might not be a bust. I don't know. But like, I definitely think that Nova said, you know, gives them a shot, um, at having it's a, a different, you know, uh, who the backup is, dude, uh, quarterback. He was probably the most like necessary recruit of the entire, you know, class in terms of like you have to have a functional backup quarterback, and there's a good possibility that that's not Ty Thompson. And if it's not, they, uh, you know, yeah, like, absolutely. Um, but like I don't know, man. Like we're down, you know, pretty far down, like speculative paths there. And then on defense, like I said, you know, they they have a, a hole at edge rush, but like that's what they took Jordan Birch for. On the other hand, like you know, they took some they took some dudes. Like this defensive line, like it is unusual to see a defensive line unit with a a blue chip average. Um, and it's a blue chip average because they took a couple of guys who were like really highly rated, like Matai Ui and Galile. Um and uh, 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 and I don't know. Some of these guys are going to be difficult to keep off the field. Um, like there are some guys who just like the tape looks phenomenal. Blake purchases tape looks really really good. Um, I think they're basically set at the interior line positions, and so I'm sort of expecting a lot of these guys to redshirt. Um, and it won't be any knock on them. You know, it's just sort of similar to the to to, to the offensive line side where it's like, Hey, they got their guys, you know, like, why don't you hit the training table and we'll see you next year. Um, you know, kind of situation, but on the edge, they definitely need help. And, and it's also sort of difficult to like sort out. Cause there's like, there's a defensive in the structure of this. There's the defensive end position, which is different from the outside linebacker position. And then on top of that, the outside linebacker position, it's different whether or not you're playing on the strong side or the weak side. And then on top of that, they have two guys who are true freshmen this year, uh, Jaden Moore and Ashton Porter, both of whom their films look really good, um, who on the official roster, they're calling them edge, which like Oregon didn't use that designation last year. So I don't know what that means. Um, so like they have, a, you know, uh, for guys who are not defensive tackles, they have like three or arguably four different 
positions that are all different. Um, and I sort of think that's kind of fluid and it's, we'll just have to see sort of how their bodies develop over spring and fall camp for where they might slide in. Um, so I don't know. I mean, obviously it's the position I'm going to be watching. Um, and then I don't know, like <laughs> you and me and everybody else. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. I was, you know, it was the thing that was absent from Oregon's defense, you know, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, the other positions are pretty easy to figure out though, you know, like inside linebacker, they've got two returners, two true freshmen, or excuse me, two guys who were red for true freshmen last year who redshirted. Uh, they, they brought in two transfers, you know, uh, so, you know, they only got one prep recruit. He's a mid three star, mid to high three star. He's probably going to redshirt. Like that's easy to figure out. It's easy to figure out the cornerback room because Oregon brings back, you know, they're, uh, you know, a bunch of productive quarterbacks and, and these guys, you know, probably going to redshirt the safety unit. I don't know. There could be a shape because they have a new coach. Um, uh, and there still could be guys who leave. In fact, like there's a couple of dudes in the safety unit, you know, given that Oregon has to shed a bunch of scholarships, I sort of have my eye on a couple of dudes who uh, I sort of think, you know, might see the door. And if they do, then maybe that's an opportunity for, um, for, for, for a true freshman to play. But on the other hand, they took, you know, look, they took Kyrie Jackson from Alabama. They took Evan Williams from Fresno. They took a Taishin Johnson. Who's probably the star, um, from Ole Miss. Like, you know, it's entirely possible that any holes that are created, you know, just immediately get plugged by transfers and all the, the freshmen just redshirt, which is what I was saying at the beginning of this segment is like, they don't need any of these guys to play. Like every single guy who I'm sort of putting my finger on is maybe this guy, uh, get some playing time as a true freshman. Like it's all speculative because like, there's no position, like, when I do this process for other Pac-12 teams, the way they identify which true freshmen are playing is not by looking at that true freshman's tape. I don't care about their tape. What I do is I I look at the tape that I already have of those teams' returners and the guys who I know are absent, and I say like, well, there's a yawning void at this position. They gotta play the true freshman, and like, yeah. I, there's nothing like that for Oregon, so I don't get to do that exercise. Like. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's, it's a good problem to have, uh, yeah, you know, woe is me. I, it's hard for me to figure out which true freshmen are going to play, you know, <laughs> how, what a terrible situation. Indeed. I even wrote about the specialists just for completeness sake. Oregon took the number one place kicker in the country, Grant Metters, um, who is, uh, interestingly also the number four. 53 punter in the country evaluated by the same organization, Chris Saylor kicking. Um, uh, uh, Nick Dizansky, uh, the long snapper that they took is the number seven best long snapper, uh, in the universe, according to, to Rubio long snapping an organization that I learned t- today that existed. Uh, <laughs> the question, uh, the, the, the question is punting. It was a real mess last year. They had like three different dedicated punters, none of whom were very reliable. And in fact, you know, at the end there the, against Oregon State, there's some catastrophes, uh, you know. on Yeah, punting, punting was pretty awful. It's the the only sc- specialist that they gave a scholarship to this cycle was Luke Dunn, um, who's out of Australia, which like, hooray, an Australian kicker. Um uh, on the other hand, the, the sort of the downside to that is just the way that they come up in Australia. They don't produce a bunch of film for you to take a look at. So, like, I don't, I don't have any links for the guy. I don't know if he can perform. They don't have like the equivalent of Sailor Rubio that that gives um, 
you know, star ratings uh, to specialists. So like, I don't know, he's sort of a, a black box. Um, I guess we'll find yeah, out. You'd, you'd have to be looking at uh, Australian football stuff and um, Australian football is very odd, but uh, they do utilize kickers in uh, a similar manner to uh, punters in American f- football. So, you know, it's conceivable he's got a foot. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I'm sort of film studied out. Like I'm, I'm at capacity. <laughs> I, I can't add another sport to do film study on just to evaluate punters. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, stop football. This is football. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That would be the other problem. It's like, I couldn't keep a bunch of crocodile Dundee references. <laughs> my writing on the situation. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, that's sort of the thing, though, is I'm not really much of an expert in evaluating, like, high school tape. Like, I watch a guy and say, okay, he doesn't look like a bum, but, like, that's about as far as I can get, because, like, I really, what I really need is, since I'm a college film reviewer, is to watch him play against other college athletes. Like, I'm pretty good at evaluating transfers if I get to that project. Um, I don't know if I will, though. Uh, I'm not really actually sure how I'm going to spend my off season. Um you know, last season I filled it all up with, um, with all the, the, the whole new coaching staff. Right. Cause like, you know, everybody was a replacement and I, everybody had some film to watch, but this year it's only been two, you know, replacements. Looks like Clem is sticking put. So like, I don't know, maybe I'll go through some of these, like these transfers guys film before uh, spring ball starts up. Well, maybe, maybe that'll be my next project. Um, it certainly was, uh, you know, like I said, it was fun to write about the new kids, but like, you know, like I've been saying throughout the segment, like I kind of don't expect to see any of the new kids this season. So like, I don't know how profitable it'd be it, it would be to, to look at these guys. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. It'd be uh, a pleasant surprise uh, if our punting dramatically improves this year because with, we we certainly needed it last season. Yeah, it's definitely true. Oh, that's the other thing, by the way, about um, Roderick Pleasant. That's sort of the the under the radar coup about it is uh, his film as a kick returner looks really good, and Oregon could definitely use um, some better you know field position off of punts. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Um, the uh, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> entirely possible that he winds up. You know, I spent this whole time talking about all the early signees who might see see the field. The latest signee of the mall might be the guy that they need the most yeah yeah uh boy the the track stuff that i've seen on him is pretty incredible oh yeah and that that guy has jets like nobody's business all right i think we'll wrap it up there uh you got any parting words of wisdom for us nope just uh go ducks i'm looking forward to it uh to the spring game already uh yeah no i mean as soon as the end of the bowl game uh happens and it's like well it's one spring game yeah. <laughs> all right thanks for joining us everybody we'll catch you on the flip side